no broken bones, no scrapes or scratches. It seemed to be all right. You can't know how sorry I am, sir. Well, there's no harm done. If you were hurt, I could never forgive myself. You clumsy idiot. I wish you'd broken your fool neck. What did you say? Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode with all that dialogue and the tiny aliens. And thanks again to Jeremy for coming on. It was a lot of fun talking about the invaders. Yeah, great episode. And uh, um, we're going to move on to this thing this week. (laughs) This is like the anti-invaders where it's nothing but dialogue. And um, and it's... I, I will say the more I thought about it and on my rewatch, there are things I appreciated about it more. I'm just not the biggest fan. I'm just going to kind of say that up front. But it has it has some points that are worth talking about. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to spoil how I feel about it yet. <laughs> I'll, I'll get your two cents later. You know, so. ah, uh, My so, my thoughts are worth more than a penny. Yeah. Uh, that's not true, actually, because you're getting my thoughts for free. That's on true. This podcast. So, <laughs> um, e- yeah, even if you factor in inflation, it's still free. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is season two, episode 16, a penny for your thoughts. Uh, air date is uh, February 3rd, 1961. Number one song. Will You Love Me Tomorrow, The Shirelles, uh, number one film, 101 Dalmatians, still, that's going to be with us for a while. Um, yes. Just to point out, two days previous to this, on February 1st, uh, the push-button telephone was put into public service for the first time um, as Bell Telephone test marketed its touchtone service for its customers in the cities of Carnegie, Pennsylvania and Findlay, Ohio. Oh, Wow. Little Ohio reference there. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so like, you think about touchtone phones and how people don't use those still. I mean, people still do use touchtone phones, I guess, but it's more like you use your cell phone. You don't hear the tones anymore. You just type a number in and it calls it. So even even touchtone is being as, as advanced as it was. It just you know it feels primitive now compared to what we have. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other. So, th- I'm sorry. That's because the other bit of information I have here, real quick, uh, from the actual air date. I just thought this was interesting. Uh, Operation Looking Glass began. It was the first of a series of uh, Boeing EC-135 jets that would go into the air um, on orders of the Strategic Air Command. For more than 30 years, uh, this plane was always in the air with the capability of taking direct control of the United States bombers and missiles in a case of an event like uh, in destruction. Uh, of a command post. So um, oh, wow. this was called the doomsday plane, right? So as one was getting ready to land, another one would be up in the air. 
So the program continued with with that plane that would later on become an E-4A jet. I don't know what that is. Um, until the fall of the Soviet Union. So this went on for like 30 years where we constantly had a plane in the air that could, could take control of of everything if something bad happened. That That's crazy. Yeah, there's something really terrifying about that. <laughs> it is. I mean, to to like call that, it the doomsday plane. That's like, you know. Yeah, that's... That's a very ominous thing. To, right? I would hate to see that fly over and realize what it was. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah. There you go. That's your that's your hopeful news uh, of what happened this day. And then there was some telephone stuff that happened too. So there you go. <laughs> that's your point <laughs> in history. <laughs> All right. So we'll jump into cast and crew here. This episode was directed by James Sheldon, who we just talked about uh, two episodes ago on the whole truth. And uh, he'll go on. We'll talk about him, I think, four other times Yeah. Uh, later this season and maybe into next. Um, and then this episode uh, was written. This is the third time we've mentioned him, George Clayton Johnson. But this is actually the first teleplay he's written for this. Uh, the past two episodes, uh, I think, were Four of Us Are Dying and Execution, mm-hmm. which were based on short stories that he had written. And Serling had adapted them to screen for Twilight Zone. So it, it seemed like uh, an interesting story into how he ended up writing the teleplay for this. I, did you read anything about that? I did. It was uh, um, there's a lot of information. I just know that he was good friends with, uh, oh, the, the writer that you like a great deal. His name's escaping me right now. Um, the gentleman who um, oh, not, Beaumont, yeah. Beaumont, he's good friends with Beaumont. Basically, they kept kind of pushing him like you, you need to write a teleplay. And it became like this whole like, you know, put up or get up or, you know, type of thing where it's like he would kind of pitch stories, but he didn't have he just he just didn't feel confident enough to, to write a teleplay. But then he kind of he, he maneuvered himself into doing it. And I like I remember reading this whole big, long, lengthy thing about the the um, like how he got the contract. So um, it sounds like you have more details than than I cared to write down when I read about it. Yeah, it, it was basically he he had gone to Buck Houghton with a uh, story. I th- it, it was about a sailor who uh, loses his hand and his hand. He grows a new hand back, but his hand that was cut off grows another body. <laughs> and uh, it turns into a doppelganger who wants to kill him. It becomes and, evil uh, ash. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, so they said no. That's that is way too crazy for Twilight Zone um, at this time, and uh, so he ended up. Uh, I I think he ended up writing a story later on um, based on that. But um, he ended up coming up with this idea, and there was something at one point that it, he wanted the teleplay. He wanted like first draft on some, or something, or he would take it away from the Twilight Zone. So they had to pay him a lot more than they were expecting just to get this thing done. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was kind of like he was he was bluffing them and he was worried that it was going to fall apart. And there's a whole thing about how he's talking about how he was worried that his wife would find out what would happen and be like, what did you do? Type of thing where it's like you had the Twilight Zone asking for a story and you blew it. So he was really kind of worried about it. Yeah, though I did read uh, he was uh, he was really happy on set um, as I guess him and his family were on set the one day and Serling came up and really spoke very highly uh, about him to the people he was showing around the studio. And I guess it really inflated his ego to the point where one of the actors in this um, 
liked the premise of this episode so much, he told him he should turn it into a TV show. <laughs> and he immediately went home and started writing a TV show based around this very simplistic idea. <laughs> yeah, I actually... Uh, I, which, I, it wasn't picked up. It was not. Shocker. Um, I mean, should I should I say for what what one of the synopsis was for the one of the stories he wrote until after we yeah. get done with the yeah, story? Well, let's Remind put a me, it's a, it's a little racist. <laughs> like we'll get into <laughs> when we get there. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just gonna write down the sequel to this episode. So sequel, we'll remember hashtag yeah. racist. It's what's gonna happen. But yeah, please. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I was one of those things where I started reading about. Like I was writing down stuff, and I'm like, I was like, we've talked about this guy before. And it just it, it occurred to me. I'm like, you're right. Like you mentioned, he kind of had pitched stories that become episodes. And yeah, it was one of those things where I'm like, wait, I thought we've talked about him already, but I didn't. You know, so he wrote. He ended up writing an, a, a few stories for the Twilight Zone, not in the same yeah. capacity as uh, as Matheson and um, oh, his name Charles again. Beaumont. Yeah, Charles Beaumont. Um, so he, it's almost like he is. Uh, I think he is the other writer out of the three that has has the most work that was actually part of the Twilight Zone, aside yeah. from Serling. Yeah, probably the least known, too, because this is somebody like I had heard Charles Beaumont's name thrown around. Like I said, I never read the stuff until we started doing the show, but I had never heard of uh, uh, George Clayton Johnson before we started doing this. And, you know, I, I've, I've read the couple short stories that we've done episodes based on, and it, it's definitely good. Like yeah. there's a reason he was in that circle of sci-fi writers of this time. Yeah, and you know, and and, and of the stories about people get hands that cut get cut off and become doppelgangers, he was leading yeah. leading the industry there. So good for him. Yeah, I I'm trying to find uh, one article said. Um, oh, it was in the Twilight Zone magazine that Rod Serling did in the 80s, late 70s, 80s. Um, I guess he wrote that story about the hand being cut off for that. So I'm going to have to try and hunt that down because um, I, I really want to. Yeah, that the story was called Sea Change. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, that now that you yeah. mentioned the title that was mentioned about what was pitched originally, but I didn't actually know what it was. So that's cool. I didn't know that. Uh, there you go. You yeah. found something I didn't know. So we all learned so something. If, if I ever find that copy of the magazine with that in it, I'll uh, I'll retread back to this episode later on. Nice. So, all right, we'll jump into cast here. We got uh, Dick York, the return of uh, Dick York as Hector B. Poole, who we spoke about last season with the Purple Testament. Um, this is a much better episode for him and his style of acting. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, this, unfortunately, is the last time, or fortunately, I'm not sure, uh, he, <laughs> in no, your he, case, Paul. He's fine for this episode, and I, I'm... Again, there's there's nothing particularly wrong with this episode. I just was not. We'll get into it. I just it just didn't. It it didn't feel like a Twilight Zone episode to me. Yeah. So if you want to hear us talk about Dick York, uh, go back to the Purple Testament episode. But this will be the last time he's on here. Um, next up, we have June Dayton, who plays Miss Turner, uh, Miss Helen Turner, and this was her only Twilight Zone. She had a lot of bit roles. Um, I, I think I saw she was in Tora, 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 and but it, such small roles. Um, 
I couldn't really find much uh, to talk about. I did see she was born in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> That's so where she took the Dayton name. Reference. Yeah, she took the name Dayton for her hometown. And she was in the 1979 Captain America made for TV film. So I just wanted to mention that. Uh, nice. Must have skipped right over that one. <laughs> Everybody did. But I just wanted to mention she was part of that. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Dan Tobin, who plays uh, Mr. Bagby who he is probably most well-known for his role also in Bewitched, much like Dick York. And he's also from Cincinnati, Ohio. So we got two Ohio natives in this one. And this was his only Twilight Zone. He gave me a Ricky Gervais vibe the entire time he was on screen. That kind of like condescending boss that wasn't quite all put together. And some of his facial like takes reminded me a lot of Ricky Gervais. Yeah, and I guess this this is one of those character actors. We've run into quite a few of them on the show that just kind of they play the same role for most of their career. I guess this guy kind of was this same role his entire <laughs> acting. But, well, that's um, fine because I mean he played it. Yeah, he played I, it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I we keep running into those character actors on the show that you look and they have like two hundred credits <laughs> and it's all like the same character. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting, uh, but you know they're getting work. It's awesome. Uh, next up, I, we have Cyril De Levante, who plays Smithers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I tried. I tried doing research to find out if maybe Waylon Smithers from The Simpsons was named after this guy, because it's like it. it the Smithers is such a a unique last name that you'd almost feel like James L. Brooks or uh, Matt Groening w- were a fan and just kind of like it stuck in their head, but I couldn't find a connection. Yeah. Um, yeah, this guy had an interest, interesting career. He ended up being like a drama coach or like an acting coach for a lot of his career, but he was in a ton of film noirs and a ton of like B-movie monster films from the 40s. Hmm. Um, he was in three other Twilight Zone episodes, but... Yeah, I, I wrote down he was a fan of the opera, Son of Dracula, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Like a lot of that kind of it, not I mean, fan of the opera is one of the top tier universal monster franchises. But um, a lot of just like the B sequels of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had he definitely had a unique look and, you know, he he brought a certain theatric element to a character that was like that didn't need it but I, I appreciated it though. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Hayden Rourke who plays Sykes, a very small role in the episode. Um, he is most well known for his role in I dream of genie as Dr. Bellows. Um, this was his only twilight zone episode. And again, a few, uh, interesting films in there. He was in when worlds collide, which is a pretty decent sci-fi film from the fifties. Um, but not too much. And then lastly, we have James Nolan, who plays Jim, which I think was the security guard or the police officer, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he had he had some good roles. Again, very small roles, but I wrote down Dirty Harry uh, Airport, and this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. So he was in a film from 1977 that I need to see now called uh, Telephone, or Telephone, I guess you want to say. It, it has Charles Bronson, so it's worth watching. Uh, the synopsis is a Russian officer who is Rus- uh, Charles Bronson with a Russian accent. So I don't even know what that sounds like uh, is sent to the <laughs> USA to try and stop sleeper agents who will mindlessly attack government entities when they hear certain coded words. 
So I'm guessing they use their touchtone phone that we've established earlier and they activate sleeper agents and Charles Bronson, who is Russian, is trying to stop this from happening. I have never heard of this film. It sounds amazing, but it's probably terrible, and I kind of want to watch it. Yeah, it. oh my God, that poster. Isn't it poster great? Is incredible. The poster's yeah. awesome. Like, well, how it's do you directed make... by the Dirty Harry director in uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Don okay. Siegel. Yeah. So that's a pretty legitimate director. Oh, Black Windmill. That's a great movie, too. Like, how, yeah, do, so... how do you make a, a, a phone receiver look dynamic? You know, like somehow Charles Bronson's holding it out and it's shattering into the title of the film, if I remember right. It's very... I I love I love movie poster art before it all just became a series of heads looking in different directions. Like even oh, wow, yeah. and it also very strangely, uh, that film is written by Peter Hyams, the action movie director. Oh, okay. Um, and his son went on to do Universal Soldier Four, which is one of like my favorite action movies well, of all time. Didn't Peter Hyams? Didn't um, he direct um, Relic and uh, Outland and all that stuff too? He, he did Time Cop, Sudden Death uh, with Van Damme. Uh, running scared from 86 uh 2010 the sequel to 2001 space odyssey okay yeah uh, out outland yeah yeah so <laughs> makes you uh, wonder why this film didn't do so well right maybe we need to maybe we need to hunt it down but I, I liked the poster and it had charles bronson so i was interested but yeah yeah his son directed one of my favorite movies of all time too so that that's a hell of a cast and crew on that. I'm definitely going to pick that. <laughs> well, Donald Pleasance is in it too. Oh. oh my God. Okay. All right. So there's on one, one last person I want to mention and it's Anthony Ray, who was the newsboy who was terrible at this episode, but he, um, he, he was the assistant director on Harry and Tonto, uh, which that got, um, Oh, what's his name? Santa Claus that we watched from, uh, night of the meek. Um, what's his name? See, I'm really good at names tonight. Um, that was the the movie that he won an Oscar for for best actor. So this oh, this guy okay. was assistant director on that. Um, yeah. So I th- I thought that was worth mentioning that this guy actually went on to actually do significant work other than being uh, <laughs> a newsboy in the Twilight Zone. Sorry, I wasn't listening. Uh, Telephon <laughs> is on uh, Amazon. You can rent it for two ninety nine. Oh, so that might happen. That's yeah, that's in my watch list right now. It's got a lot of five star reviews. It's got four stars overall 76 reviews <laughs> so there you go so telephone yep. and then uh yeah so i thought you would yeah. that sounds like a movie that we need to watch right now so but but anyway that's yeah that's your yeah. cast and crew um for everyone pause the podcast we're gonna go watch it and we're not gonna <laughs> review this episode we're reviewing that film i i, I you know I, I know i just recently watched him charles bronson so i could watch some more i just he is so good at just delivering lines that like they're just he, his delivery is so like i don't know how to describe it it's it's almost like he doesn't care he just wants to get to the next yeah. scene and i appreciate that like it's there's um, a difference between no nonsense and and not giving a shit and charles bronson seen, does not care have you seen 10 to midnight no i've not okay uh just watch some uh best of clips of charles bronson in that uh it's it's him hunting down a killer who he's basically a flasher and gets nude every time he kills a female victim Hmm. and uh yeah there there's some really funny dialogue in that movie (laughs) and talking about delivery like he gives some of the craziest lines i've ever heard in cinema so straight and so bored (laughs) 
that it's it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. I just don't so, know. I don't know what it happened for him. It's incredible because I'd recently. I, yeah, he's yeah. he's a very unlikely uh, leading actor. Yes, like I understand him in like Death Wish and everything because he kind of fits the role of just the the rundown dad. You know, like it works, but. He went on like they almost treated him as like a action movie sex symbol. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was just very strange. Well, I, I, I don't I don't understand, but uh, yeah. I, I love his film. So <laughs> I, I I guess it, I guess it worked. It's Charles Bronson in an episode of Twilight Zone later. I mean, that'd be great. But I um, let's go to mention because I just I'd recently watched the Mag- Magnificent Seven, which he was in. Then Once Upon a Time in the West, and you could tell that he's caring about both of those roles because the delivery is a little different in those. I don't know what happens along the way where he just doesn't care anymore. But yeah, it, but I love it because it's Charles Bronson. And it's like there's actors that are cast just because of who they are, and I feel like he was one of those guys. It's like we need Charles Bronson, and he's just like whatever. What's the script? All right, two takes, we're done, we're out. That's what it felt like to me. Like he just didn't care. It's like, do I get to wear a black jacket? Do I look, get to look cool? Can I leave now? Like that's what Bronson felt like to me. Yeah. Well, uh, heads up, Charles Bronson is coming up on the episode titled two. Oh, that's the which, season three episode one right is that i the, believe the, so it's not in season two um oh so we get yeah, to have it's the first yeah it's the first episode of season three so uh yeah coming up we're going to be talking about some charles bronson for stay, real on this show. stay tuned in about 15 episodes we're going to have this conversation again it'll be amazing anyway <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's your cast and crew. That's not Charles Bronson. Um, yeah, I don't, so, I don't know how that happened, but yeah. let's, let's let Rod take it away. Yeah, telephone. <laughs> Mr. Hector B. Poole, resident of the Twilight Zone. Flip a coin and keep flipping it. What are the odds? Half the time it'll come up heads, half the time tails. But in one freakish chance in a million, it'll land on its edge. Mr. Hector B. Poole, a bright human coin on his way to the bank. A bright human coin. What yeah, the hell does that even like mean? almost like an insult. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it doesn't... I don't know. I don't like that intro. And But there's some, some stuff here that... Um, so what we get to is we see Hector B. Poole, like walking along. He well, gets a paper. Sorry, hold go on. ahead. I, I, yeah. I'm curious. Uh, did you see... Because the last episode with Matheson, uh, it was rumored that Matheson may have written that intro for him. I wonder if... Uh, this intro was written by Serling or George Clayton Johnson. Um, I don't know who it was written by. I can tell you. So like, let's talk about what happened at the very beginning. And then this will explain something that happens with how the episode exists the way it does. So, um, so you have Hector B. Poole. He's going to go, he's going to go buy a paper uh, from, you know, this, this really convincing newspaper kid. And as he throws a quarter into the box, it doesn't land heads or tails. It lands directly um, standing straight up. And it's a really, it's a weird moment. Um, so the whole the whole thing that Sterling's talking about is that this guy flipped a coin into a box and it, it happened to be on its edge. A one in a million shot, which by the way, I don't think that's even the right probability. I think it's like one in never that will ever happen. Um, yeah. So the reason why that is, and so... The, um, 
the crux of the whole episode, which we'll get to what's going on here in a second, that's the same. But someone on set was like, hey, I got this gag I can show you where we tie a little string to a, a, a coin. Like, a, like it wasn't even a string. It was like a, like a thin piece of metal. And that mm-hmm. the actor can toss it, and then we could just like pull it tight and make it stand on its edge. And everyone thought that was great. And Sterling's like, oh, that's awesome. Why not just use that as the intro? So I think he rewrote the intro to fit the explanation as to what happened. Ah, uh, okay. All right. That makes sense. As, as uh, much as anything else in this episode, sure. You know, it's more like everyone's like, that's kind of a cool visual. And they just went with it. Well, I, I guess in the initial teleplay, he was supposed to get the powers when he got hit by the car. Yes. But when he gets hit by uh, jumping ahead, I, I guess we'll jump into it real quick. So after he, the quarter lands outside, he starts bumping into people and he can basically hear their thoughts. Um, he's not quite sure that's what's happening, but he, as people would bump into him, they'd either be very nice or angry at him, but their <laughs> lips wouldn't be moving. He'd be hearing what yeah. they're thinking. And, uh, there's, there's a few funny bits here. The first guy, you know, like, uh, basically insults him. And then, uh, I, I wrote down the one quote, uh, the guy bumps into him. And he's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I hit ran into him. If he hits me, I'll die. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the sure, ultimate sure. whip statement of it's like, oh, I hope he doesn't hit me. Yeah. Uh, and then the intro to the show here was uh, after the car strikes uh, Hector, the, yeah, the guy's so he acting sympathetic because yeah. he's he's kind of he's kind of put off by the fact that he's hearing people's thoughts and he steps <laughs> into the street and gets hit by a car. But it's not an effective hit. No, like we've seen good car hits on the show so far that were fairly impressive like this this is bad. Like you can't even tell if he got hit or not. Cause I honestly just thought he fell over and the car stopped. <laughs> I mean, you might as well. Right. Cause it's so, it shows yeah. the car rushing and then he's on the ground. And it's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Which, but this, this shows me that people in the sixties were way more rugged than we are today that they could hit, get hit by a car and get up and be like, Nope, no internal bleeding. I'm fine. And everybody <laughs> goes about their business. Like nothing happened. So, so yeah, but the the owner of the car was like, "Oh, I'm so terribly sorry." And then he's just like, "You know, you should have watched where you're going." He's thinking mentally, you know, lame brain, which I think I played that at the beginning of the show here. And Hector's like, "What'd you say?" He's like, "Oh no," he's like, "I hope you're perfectly fine." And it's just like, it's interesting because you see the close up on the other person's mouth. Like every time, like Hector's trying to figure out what's going on, it's it, it's a real direct close up of the lips, and they're not moving, but you're hearing the thoughts, which. I don't know how else you convey that in this episode. And I think it's effective because it, it just shows yeah, that they're not talking. There's a lot of nonverbal acting, like yeah. a lot of, a lot of movement with the eyes and everything and eyebrows and it, it works. It, it kind of plays goofy at times, but it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess that's where the coin thing came from because they weren't able to do an effective enough car crash of him getting hit. <laughs> so they had to come up with another reason why this happened, Yeah. which either way, I mean, it doesn't really make sense. Like, no. why would you get that from getting hit by a car? So, I, I mean, either way, it's whatever. Well, I mean, and the coin gag is kind of cool, I guess. It's the same thing as Christopher Walken getting hit by a milk truck in the dead zone, right? Like, that's the same thing. Yeah, I guess. You know, it's just like, that's you know. a great pull. <laughs> you know, because um, <laughs> if someone experiences trauma and their brain is in a different state, then maybe they can experience things differently. And I'm not saying yeah, that's, that's. I guess that makes more sense than the coin then. <laughs> I mean, 
the whole the whole thing of the episode is that Hector can hear people's thoughts, and that's not a giveaway because that's the whole episode. Um, there's a twist, and we'll get to it later about what that means. But like, he flips a coin, it lands perfectly on its edge, and suddenly, because it's a one in a million shot, because no one's ever done this before, he can hear thoughts. And I understand the Twilight Zone doesn't take too many steps to get into it. Like we're we've we've had some very loose reasons to get into the world of the weird. This is probably the loosest to me so far, where it's like, oh, a coin didn't land right. Now he can hear thoughts. Like it, there is such a loose alchemy to this episode that I'm like, really? That's how we're getting into this? But Dick York is 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 uh, competent enough that you kind of go along for the ride. Yeah. Um, I, I was trying to look up where they got the coin odd side. Like, obviously the guy had the gag that they were going to use, but I was trying to find out if there was any bearing on like, if there was superstition about a coin landing outside and I couldn't find anything. No, there's not. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is something they just completely made up and you know, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it because like you said, they've, they've played pretty loose with the rules before and, it's so simple that it almost makes you not question it just at the, the basis that it is that simple. <laughs> well, like we never questioned how the car got haunted and then uh, the whole truth, you know, like we never exactly. questioned. Yeah. So like <laughs> they just give you these ridiculous ideas and they're so simple that you just kind of take it at face value. But the like, fact okay. That surely called him a bright coin on the way to the bank. I'm like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Like Sterling, you were a masterful writer. Could you have done a second take? That's all I'm asking for. You know, that that's really because this is a really weak intro. You know, that that's that's just me. I, I feel yeah. like he's done really good at like, especially considering like last week with the invaders where he paints this amazing picture because he knows that he's the only words that you're going to hear. This just feels like he wrote this on the back of a matchbook and went with it. Yeah. Um. All right, so we'll jump in. This episode is pretty. I, things might kind of get out of order, but yeah. it's just a series of events <laughs> that lead up to one thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess that's what anything is. But <laughs> <laughs> well, so he can hear thoughts. He doesn't realize he can hear thoughts, but the realizations creeping in pretty quickly. Yeah. So we have him heading to the bank, which he works at, and he's he's running late because he got hit by a car, and. Uh, it's a good reason. His boss. Yeah. yeah, his boss is in his office. We cut to him. He's talking to a girl who is not his wife. Turns out to be a chorus girl he's going to spend a weekend away with. And Hector comes in to explain why he's running late and immediately starts hearing his boss's thoughts about how he needs to get out of his office because he needs to finish playing this weekend. And uh, so he, he kind of gets the idea of what his boss thinks of him at this point. Yeah. And then he goes back out, uh, and he he kind of has the inclination. He's like, "Oh, I can maybe do this." So he goes over to the 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 guard. The guard's thinking about baseball. He physically asks him about the game that evening, and then the guard's kind of like, "What are you talking about?" And it's like you were just thinking about baseball, so you think you'd have that conversation. And then he goes over to to somebody else and hears their thoughts. And then um, my favorite part of this episode, <laughs> yes, my I, absolute this favorite is part, also mine. And th this is a joke that works so well. He goes up to a woman who has just a stack of money in her hand and she's fanning through it and she's looking at it and she has a smile on her face and he kind of cocks his head like, like, you know, the RCA dog to listen to her thoughts and there's nothing there. 
And he kind of keeps trying to listen. He keeps trying to listen. And she's not thinking about anything. And he just wanders away from her. And that's that's actually a really good comedic beat because it, it works on the rules of threes. You know, like you got the first two and then the third's different. It's yeah, a, it's well, a I, good gag. I was really concerned because I thought they were just going to keep doing this and just really oversell the fact that he can read people's minds. And then when they got to that third one, uh, it caught me off guard. It was it was honestly really funny. It's really funny. He plays it really well. Um, so in the meantime, though, uh, his uh, somewhere along the way, like there's there's a the young lady that's in the also in the office. It's not what it's Helen that he overhears yeah, her Ms. thoughts Turner. too. Yeah. But then he first, but there's another good beat too, where he confuses her thoughts for the thoughts. He thinks a bust of somebody, there's a little bust of like a, somebody's head. He thinks it's talking to him. And that's another good beat too. Cause he goes up to it and like, looks at it. Like, is this thing talking to me? Yeah. And he realizes yeah, and she that she's behind from behind the yeah. file cabinet. And so that was pretty funny. I like, so I'm not saying the comedy in this doesn't work. It's just that, you know, it's just not my episode, but I, I liked those two beats. I thought those were pretty good. Yeah. But then we have uh, a customer coming in, Mr. Sykes, who is a pretty big businessman, and he's uh, coming in to get, I think it was a $200,000 loan, which is a that's, that's a big loan back then. Um, so as he's sitting down to talk to him about this and finalize the approving the loan, he hears his thoughts about how he's going to use the money to bet it on horses. And uh, basically... When um, when Poole confronts him on this, he immediately is offended, you know, and uh, even though it's true, he's offended. And so Poole's boss takes him into uh, takes him in the office and he gets in trouble. And uh, I think that's when we get the the whole bust with the co-worker and everything. Oh, that's right. Final yeah. Cabinet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so he goes up to her and he's he's kind of thanking her for the kind thoughts and she's very confused. But that's that's when we get this other coworker who comes up and uh, he's just thinking these terrible things <laughs> about uh, um, why can't Helen. I keep her yeah. mind? Uh, Helen, Miss Turner. And uh, so then we get a gag where he after the conversation is over, pool pours his water, his cup of water at the water cooler over his head. Yeah. Cause this guy <laughs> comes up to, to him. His desk. He's like, Oh, romancing the help or whatever it is. Like, this whole thing is just like, like, it's terrible then, but in light of what's been going on recently in life, it's oh, way it's worse. worse. It's way worse. Right. So, um, it's just like, this is what happens. And then, and then, um, whenever he pours the water over the guy's head, the guy just stands up angry at him. He's like, I'll see you later about this. And then walks off. I'm like, you have to schedule a fist fight. Like I felt really weird to me, <laughs> but the guy storms off and that's the last you see of him. But it, it, it's also a good comedy beat because, you know, pool's like, no, you know what? This guy's being a jerk. I'm just going to pour water over his, over his head. I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. So he goes back to his desk, and uh, this is when we get uh, basically the plot of the rest of the episode here. So there's an old coworker, uh, Smithers, that's working there, and he hears his thoughts, and he's he's mad. He's been at the same desk for his entire career, and nobody appreciates him. And he's thinking about robbing the bank at the close of business that day at 4:30. He's going to bring his suitcase into the bank vault while he closes it out. And uh, he's going to head out to he's going to fly to Bermuda and uh, never come back, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so 
I, I believe at that point we cut to closing time. It's like yeah. 10 minutes till closing time. So he finally decides he needs to do something. So he goes to talk to Miss Turner and tells her basically that he can read minds and tells her about the bank robbery. And she's like, well, you, you got to do something. Doesn't necessarily believe him about the reading minds, but tells him like, if you really think the bank's going to be robbed, you got to do something about it. So he goes and talks to Miss, uh, Mr. Uh, Bagby. I, I wrote down Bagley for some reason. <laughs> uh, if we have a, it's a weird name, it's like E.M. E. Yeah. Bagby. It's like, all right, I know you belong on a monopoly board, but that's a weird name. Yeah. So he tells him about the robbery and uh, tells him that's it's Smithers who's planning to rob the bank. And he kind of mulls it over and he's like, you know, it probably would be the person you don't expect. And so he asks him what the plan is. And he said uh, at 430, he's going to get up, bring his suitcase in there. So they turn. It's 430 at this point. They turn and they watch Smithers get up. He closes his desk out, grabs his briefcase, walks into the vault. And uh, yeah, so then they confront him when he comes out of the vault and turn the briefcase upside down and there's no money inside. Yeah. So it like basically um, at that point, uh, Hector is like he's lost his job because Bagby's done with him. Mm-hmm. And as everybody kind of skirts away, Smithers is like, how'd you know? And like, basically he tells him is like every day I, I, I think about what I would like to do to get out of here. Um, and sometimes it's Siam and sometimes it's other places, it's these beautiful things I want to do. He's like, but I guess I'm a coward. And he's, he kind of, kind of smirks. Cause like, you know, cause Hector knows what's going on and he just kind of leaves. It's like, basically Hector learns that just because someone's thinking about a fantasy doesn't make it reality. You know, so so he's kind of burnt because he could hear his thoughts, but it's more escapism as opposed to what he was intending to do. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes back to his desk to pack all of his stuff up. And uh, we find out that Sykes, the customer from before uh, that he busted about uh, gambling on horses, it turns out that he was arrested for using company money to gamble on horses. So. Uh, apparently he didn't gamble on Hyperion or tiny too, you know, <laughs> take <that's>, a drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so Bagby realizing that like, you know, Hector's actually, you know, probably on to something tries to convince him to come back. And then at that point, Helen's like, if you can hear my thoughts, then you need to leverage this basically, you know? So you need to blackmail him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I even wrote my notes, double blackmail. What a lesson, you know, like that's what yeah. happens. And he basically says, you know, like, I know about this other woman, like, uh, I should be the head of the counts, I should have this office. And Bagby's like, okay, fine, you know, and but the weird thing is Bagby thinks about it for way too long. I don't know if you're if you noticed that where it's like, he, he's like, what are you talking about? And then he just kind of like has like a brief aside. He's like, man, this weekend's gonna be so good. It's like, oh, what was I thinking about? It was like a weird <laughs> thought process. So then also, um, he lets, he lets Hector have that job and then Hector's like, Oh, well we need to get a ticket to, um, the Bermuda or whatever it was that, uh, Smithers wanted to go to and have the yeah. bank pay for it. And Bagby's like, Oh, I can't do that. And he's like, Oh, but you're going to miss your weekend. He's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. We'll do that. So Bagby puts the bank's reputation on the line to buy a ticket for an old man to go to an Island to have fun. So he can go away for the weekend and cheat on his wife while Hector's the good guy and gets a, a, a really good job. And also the attention of miss Helen. Yeah. There's your lesson um, right there. The twilight zone full of good moral lessons. Yeah. There, there's some questionable stuff going on. In this. <laughs> uh, so 
Yeah, he he leaves with Helen. Uh, she's enamored with him at this point, and 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 as always, uh, so they're walking home, and they pass by the paper boy that he passed by in the beginning of the episode, and he buys the afternoon paper and throws a quarter in there and knocks down the quarter that was still standing on its side, and at that point he realizes that he can't hear people's thoughts anymore. And so and th- and that's when we get a really awkward moment of this episode <laughs> when he starts running up to strangers and grabbing them and shaking them yeah. as they make no expressions. No. Like they're expressionless as he's shaking them. It's weird. It was so weird. It was really weird. Yeah. Like yeah. I, you would think that one of them would be like, you know, I'm going to punch him and then he'll die. That's what he was probably thinking. But it yeah. was really, really Dick, weird. Dick York is so intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and he's like, "Can you hear it? Can you hear it?" And he's like, "I can't hear it." And his his expression is actually it, it's a it's one of relief, and he sells it real well. And yeah, he does, but nobody else does. No, no, like and, everyone else is just straight face, just being shaken by Dick York. It's very strange. And he just tells uh, Helen, he's like, "Think of something," and she thinks, and he's like, "I can't hear what you're thinking," and she's like, "Can't you?" And she has that smile on her face, and they wander off happily ever after after he blackmailed the the bank and everything yeah and serling calls him a human coin again <laughs> it's, it's like a repeat of your favorite line <laughs> absolutely yeah and that's it yeah and that's your episode that's it he uh gets what he wants and he benefited from mind reading for a day yeah yeah so um I guess I guess at this point I will come clean with how I felt about this episode because <laughs> I kind of kept it uh, in the whole time. I actually did like this one. Okay, good. Yeah, um, I, I had a fun time watching it. I, I it probably won't show up on my favorites when we do a season recap, but I think this this is one that I had never seen before. I've never really heard anyone talking about, and it was a nice little surprise. It didn't have that that huge aha moment. There was no big twist or anything. And we'll talk about that when we get to the twist meter. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's a really entertaining episode and I, I enjoy Dick York and I, I think this was a much better role for him than purple Testament. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a perfectly fine serviceable like story. Like I, I though I feel the, the getting into it and the getting out of it, it's a bit weird. And I, I know that yeah, behind the kinda, scenes, it's kind of clunky at moments. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, uh, it feels very tangentially like Mr. Beavisy with like, I flipped a coin. Now I can hear thoughts. That's what it felt like to me starting yeah. the episode. But we've, we've talked about how much that the comedy doesn't work in the twilight zone. And I think this had a nice balance of, of uh, comedy and just that kind of darker edge that some of the Twilight Zone episodes have. Well, there was some conflict. Uh, There's definitely some conflict here. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and not that comedy doesn't have a place because I was thinking about this actually today before we started recording that, um, and I'll come back to this. I think the chaser is one of my, my favorite entertaining episodes and that thing is full of comedy, but yeah, it's much one, more one yeah. for the angels. And a lot of yeah. those have the comedic character, um, that, that kind of carries that. Um, but I think this one is probably the most straightforward comedic episode. Yeah. Although a lot of the themes and problems that they're dealing with in this aren't funny. Um, the tone of this one being more comedic. I think this works the best for some reason. That's fair. I it just, I guess that, I don't know. I, um, 
it, maybe maybe because it was playing small with the conflict and it, it's it's to the benefit of the story and the benefit to the episode it's just the whole concept of like this guy could read minds like you would think that there was something it would trip into something bigger and way more important than it did but it's more about like this guy had a day with this thing he didn't even know how long he was going to have it and because of it, he actually learned something about people, about what he say. He's like, um, people are not the way they think you are, the way, the way you think they are. And yeah. that, I mean, that works. And, it's, and there's a lesson there. And he well, used it to his benefit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I thought of something interesting as I was kind of sitting around thinking about this today. So he learns that people aren't what they seem on the outside. You know, like it, as nice as somebody may be. Uh, on the outside talking to you, they might be thinking horrible things. You never know. That's true. You know, yeah. and it's it's something I think we all know that um, <laughs> he gets to experience it for real. But what I think, I don't know if it was intentional or it was just due to just sloppiness. Um, Dick York seems like a very nice guy in this episode. Like we're supposed to root for him, right? Yeah. Like as you're watching it, the fact that he turns so quickly into blackmailing his boss <laughs> and we're not able to hear his thoughts. Like, do you think there's something to be said about like maybe Dick York isn't as innocent or as good as we think he is? I, you know, I, I think you're giving the episode cre- too much credit, but I, I agree with that. Like, but that's, it, that's, yeah. that's what I mean. Like, I feel like it was done just, I, I think it was sloppy, but I think they accidentally stumbled on a great point with that. Well, because everyone yeah. else kind of had ulterior motives when you got into their thoughts, but we never got to hear his thoughts. So all of a sudden he kind of has whether or not that when George Clayton Johnson was writing this thought, he was justified to blackmail his boss for having an affair. Like it's still kind of a terrible thing to do. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe he wasn't as nice a guy as we thought he was following in the whole episode. I, I mean, is anybody but, really innocent in this episode? Because Helen was no, like, if you could hear yeah. my thoughts, that, you know, she's basically like, screw him to the floor is basically what yeah, she's, she's telling the one that gives him the idea to blackmail him. <laughs> so they kind of they're in cahoots to do that. Right. Um, I would say the most innocent guy is Smithers. <laughs> like, Maybe. Or, or the guard where he's just like, oh, I'm just yeah, thinking about guard, baseball. Yeah. That's all yeah, I'm except, thinking about. Except he's got a line about uh, using his gun or something. He's like, so. I would, I, I'm still holding up my pants. Like, you know, I don't wear it to yeah. hold my pants. Yeah. I think yeah, the, so most, might, the most innocent person. Kind of trigger happy. You don't know. <laughs> is that lady just staring at money that has no thoughts at all. She is the most innocent because you don't know what she's thinking about. She's just, she's just happy to have money, you know? So, yeah. Um, well, her outside is the same as what she's thinking on the inside. Yes. Right. So, so she's the most honest in the episode, whether so, or not that's good or not, <laughs> probably not. So, um, uh, so credit, yeah, it's just interesting, interesting credit to the director because he's the one that came up with the two gags of the woman with no thoughts whatsoever. And then also that the bust was talking to Hector. So that, w- that wasn't in the story. So he kind of like visually, he thought, what could I do to add a little bit more to this episode? And and since Dick York, he has so many, like he's like the proto uh, Jim Carrey in the sense that he has that yeah. good, like he's not, he doesn't have nearly the range as Jim Carrey in terms of his like physical expression, but he plays straight so well that even though he's leaning into the comedic bits, like, especially whenever, like at the end, when Helen's like, you know, mentally telling him like, well, you know, 
if this happens, then then we could have this office or whatever. And then he basically says her thought out loud and has to correct himself and, and make it sound like his thought. That's a really good beat, too. And he sells it really well. And I appreciate his comedic timing. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I guess that makes sense, because especially after hearing what uh, George Clayton Johnson's original teleplay idea was, <laughs> uh, it seems and with the four of us are dying in execution, it doesn't seem like uh he really has a comedic bone in his no. writing body no uh so that kind of makes sense that the director brought those gags in but i, I like the idea that the pitfall for uh, hector to begin with was that he mistook a daydream for an actual thought process that was kind of a nice like you can't trust what everybody's thinking to like I, I, yeah. I like that kind of element as well. So he wasn't, even though he could hear what people's thinking, it doesn't mean that you could trust what they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, you got to think how many thoughts people have a day, have yes. all day. Yeah, like how many of those are nonsense? How many of those, you know? So it, it, I, I think, although it's not like a really, it's not a revelatory twist in the episode. I think it is a fun little spin on this uh, on a gag that can get old very fast i'll give you that i just it was they do a good job like this could have gotten old really fast um (laughs) and i think they do a good job splitting up uh all those gags and all those moments with him actually reading people's minds um so it doesn't it doesn't get repetitive at any time in this episode and that's that's probably the biggest credit i'll give this is it's an entertaining breezy episode like yes, it's got problems, but it's good performances and it's it's breezy. Like it's yeah. really easy to watch. This one, I mean, like I would watch this a hundred times over watching the whole truth again, you know, or the yeah. Mike Casey, you know, like um, yeah, it's just it, it's not it's not my favorite, and I was dreading watching it a second time, not because the episode was so bad, it's just that it was so dialogue heavy that I like that just for me, it's just like where am I going to find the interesting bits in this episode? Because like there's a, there's not a lot that rises to the top versus like what's going on. So it was really challenging because I versus the invaders, which had no dialogue, like (laughs) it's really, and I know it wasn't planned like this and it's not, not the same episodes, not the same thing whatsoever. This one is nothing but dialogue. That's what drives the plot is the internal thought process that you hear audibly while in the invaders, you don't hear a single thing that's going through Agnes Morad's head, but you know, you know, so it's, it's really interesting to watch these back to back to see that effect. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it was, I think it was a decent episode again. Like I, I liked it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's grown on me a little bit. It's I just, not gonna, it's not gonna end up on my best of list <laughs> when we, when we go over and talk about the high points of the season, it won't be on that, but, it's one of those ones that I don't think I've ever seen on TV, which I'm surprised about with just having Dick York in it. Um, I feel like this was one they they should probably play. Um, yeah, but yeah. I think I think it's fine. This is middle of the road. It's it's not offensive. It's not great, uh, but good performances. And George Clayton Johnson, uh, say what you will about his stories. There's always a good idea at the base of them. Um, with the three we've seen mm-hmm. so far. So, all right. Good stuff. So, so, um, just real quick, I have my notes here. I just want to mention that anytime, like at the beginning when, uh, Dick York was putting on his broken glasses to look at people's lips, 
it reminded me so much of uh, Falling Down with uh yeah um was yeah. it uh oh what's his name not martin martin sheen My, michael douglas michael, michael douglas. douglas i'm sorry yeah. when he had his broken glasses i'm just like all oh, those guys are gonna snap it's about to happen it reminded me of that a lot um un- unrelated uh so i actually looked up i was trying to find i was i was trying to find uh if there was like a coin toss league because everything's a game now right everybody has to be part of something and it's yeah. surprisingly I, I didn't find that however I did find someone did a study about the odds of coin flips that if someone came up to you in a bar and said, Hey, um, if, it, if this coin comes up more heads than tails, I'll give you $20. If it, but if it doesn't, you give me 20 about how that's kind of already against you because, uh, that whole thing of flipping a coin is closer. It's not 50, 50, it's closer to 51, 49 in terms of, uh, whatever side was up when you go to throw a coin in the air. So talking about this lucky throw, the odds of you not winning a coin toss, like you'll bet in terms of how often it would show up, I thought was interesting. Then it further goes on to say, if I was to take a, a coin and spin it, how often do you think it would show up heads or tails? Um, because the head side of a coin has a little bit more mass because it has the relief of a, a president's head, odds yeah. are it's going to fall down that side more often than it would uh, you know, a tail side. And oh, that, that makes that makes sense. It makes sense, right? But you don't think about it. So yeah. I thought that was interesting that there's someone actually went through and broke down the odds of what would happen if you spin a coin or flip it. Um, there's no odds about throwing a coin and having it land on its edge. So I couldn't find that. Um, but someone's really thought about coin flipping a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's I, interesting. So that's I, a quarter I, for your thoughts. There you go. <laughs> and and none of that equal. None of that ends up in mind powers. Just want to let you know. Uh, also, yeah, that's what I look for. I was like, <laughs> is there a superstition on this I was unaware of? And no, there's not. Also, somebody had a magic trick and right. sort of like put it in the episode. Whatever, and it's fine. And it, but it did that. Did you hear that that weird chime noise that happened? It was like that dung noise that played that you hear with yeah. all all episodes of the Twilight Zone when things don't add up. Like I was like, oh, we're going to use that again. Uh, so later on, I didn't. This is something we didn't talk about during the Purple Testament. Uh, when Dick York, uh, he tells Elizabeth Montgomery in an episode of Bewitched that he feels like his epi- his life is an episode of the Twilight Zone. It's because he and I guess she shows up later in the series. They both appear in an episode of the Twilight Zone and he gets to make that joke like five years later in the Bewitched. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, she is. A, if it's the episode I'm thinking of, I'm a big fan of that one. Um it, she's it, in multiple episodes, isn't she? I don't know. I just I mean, she's more than capable. I mean, I I, uh, I don't know. Does she play? A, yeah. Does she play a witch though? Like, does her no, nose like go back and forth, and make that noise? <laughs> no, <laughs> not that I remember. But. I mean, uh, so anyway, that that's all I really got. Like in terms of notes, like I don't have much else. Oh, like, guess guess what episode she's in? Which one? Two with Charles Bronson. Oh, there we go. That's good. Man, you I, know what? I don't want to oversell it, but that might be the greatest episode of the Twilight Zone that we're going to see. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited now. Yeah, because uh, they're, the, they're the only two. Season. They're the only two in that episode, right? I think that's the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, I have seen that one then because oh. that's the one I was thinking of. Um, nice. Yeah. You, you got you got uh, Charles Bronson and a witch. I like it. That's going to be interesting. I cannot wait to get to that. Stay tuned four months from now when we get to two. It'll be good. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, that, that's it for my notes, too. There's yeah. really not much here. No. Um, it, it, it's a pretty simple premise, and 
the only thing that was really baffling to me was his quick character change into blackmailing his boss. <laughs> uh, that, that was honestly just because then it got me thinking if it was intentional or not. Uh, but I, I, I think I agree with you. I think I'm giving the episode too much credit. No, I, I like, I think it's correct to be like, oh, wow, he really leveraged that while everyone else was leveraging, leveraging, like the boss was leveraging his position to do what he wanted to do. And it, it's like, it's perfectly fine, and I and and respect to um to them to show some of the workplace politics, you know, and I and not that they were really speaking to that, but you had the boss that clearly was cheating on his wife, and then you had the other guy who was just a jerk talking to uh, Hector and Helen. It's like, oh, good for you to have an office romance. It's like this guy was just an idiot. Like there there was some there was some probably some reality going on there that they could poke fun at in the in a comedy script. So I respect that. Yeah, and they treated it as being a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, those people were not supposed to be good in the episode, so that that's nice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess I guess we'll just get to the twist if you have nothing else. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. So I'll let you know. I forgot to write down what I was going to rate this as a twist because I wasn't sure. I guess I'll just give it. I guess I'll give it a three in the sense that he. Uh, overplayed his initial thinking of what everybody was thinking. So I wasn't expecting a daydream to trip him up. So I'll give it that. Yeah. Um, all transparency. I never write down what I'm going to rate the twist. <laughs> I like to talk about it first because when we, when we first started doing the show, I'd write down my twist rating and then we'd talk about it and it would change anyway. So now I just kind of go uh, just based on how I'm feeling after the conversation but uh, I'm actually going to go lower on the twist. Okay. I just I don't think it's as impactful as the higher twist ratings that we've given. Um, I do enjoy the whole thing with Smithers and him uh, incorrectly reading his thoughts or believing that his thoughts would actually be true. Um, but I think any good done with that is muddled again with that blackmailing. <laughs> so <laughs> I just. I, I it's sloppy. I it is. I'm gonna give the twist a two, because it's it's not necessarily even a twist. Yeah, that, that's probably but, that's probably a better place for it. I just uh, but I, again, I like yeah. the episode. Like I think it's fine, but just as far as twist rating, this is this is where I always have trouble with us just rating the twist. <laughs> it's like uh, there's not really a twist in some of these episodes, so. Um, yeah, it's worth checking out. It's almost as if I made up a concept before we found out if it would actually uh, bear itself out over the course of time. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I still like it. Though. It works 80% <laughs> of the time. It's good. 80% it's of the fine. time it works every time, you know? So, uh, yeah. So that's, yeah, it's, just, it's perfectly, this episode's okay. It's nothing. I, if it was on a marathon or whatever, fine. Like it, it's, it's enough that you enjoy it. Um, like it's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot of those ones that when we get to the end of the, the the season, that I'm gonna look back and be like, oh yeah, that was here, and that doesn't speak yeah. well to overall, but it's perfectly fine. Well, it's just fun growing up watching Bewitched, like seeing Dick York in these two roles that he was in in Twilight Zone. Um, it was nice to see him utilized a little bit better than Purple Testament. Absolutely. Although I didn't hate Purple Testament either. No. Um, this just worked a lot better for him. Yeah, that, that I would agree with yep. that 100%. Yeah, so if you're a fan of Dick York, if uh, 
if 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 he's somebody that you really enjoy, <laughs> this episode will uh, do wonders for yeah. you. <laughs> I don't know. All those all those Dick York fans out there, you know the, the Dick I York know. fan club. Right? <laughs> as soon as I started saying that, I'm like, I don't I don't know if I know one like, other person that's got, ever said got, they're a fan of Dick York. <laughs> you got Yorkers and then Sergeanters. Like they're going to just fight out through the like time, which one was the better, Dick York or Dick Sergeant? Um, so, all right, yeah, that's that's going to do it for uh, a penny for your thoughts. Uh, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Oh, there's so many ways, Paul. Uh, <laughs> you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. Join the conversation there. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, Satchel, anywhere you can find podcasts, we are there. And it would really help us out if uh, you would leave us a rating or even better, a review. Um, get us a little bit higher up on the search list on uh, iTunes. It would really help us out guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I noticed that, uh, that we haven't had any ratings on Stitcher. Not that I'm calling anybody out, but it's like, if you guys could raise on Stitcher, that would be wonderful too. Just because I know not everybody out there uses, uh, iTunes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Talk to us. Send us emails. Yeah. Want to know what you're thinking. Want to know what you think about these episodes. We love it. Yeah. If you're a Dick, Dick uh, York fan, just let us know. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, I'd love to hear what your favorite Dick, uh, Dick York role is. Uh, <laughs> let's get, let's um, get some deep dives into his career. I mean, Cause after this, we're just going to watch bewitched in its entirety. It's what's going to happen. We're going to go episode by episode and find out what happened with that family. Um, I, I, there's not enough alcohol in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, I right. like Bewitched, but uh, right, I'd just be like, oh, small doses. oh, Samantha's up to it again, you know. Anyway, um, <laughs> all right. So next episode we're gonna watch is not two; it's called twenty-two. So there's twenty-two people in it, not really. Um, so there, there is a Sterling intro for this, or I should say tease. So bear with me here. I, I will not do it the same way that he will. Uh, this is Room Twenty Two. And on the other side of its doors lies an adventure that is as fascinating as it is inexplicable. It's a story that comes to us from Mr. Bennett Cerf, uh, C-E-R-F, how you pronounce that, who describes it as an age-old horror tale whose origins is unknown. We have dressed up in some hospital wrappings and enlisted the performance of Miss Barbara Nichols uh, on the next Twilight Zone. 22, be prepared to be spooked. It's that kind of story. Oh. I think I've seen this one before. So I think this is another one of the the video episodes because we've seen three of them so far. It was three, right? So we've seen um, uh, the after, not, not the after hours, latest of the hour, night of the meek, uh, the whole truth. I think this is a video episode. I think that's what we're about to see. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Let me see. Um, yeah. He, uh, it's directed by Jack Smite, who did Lateness of the Hour and Night of the Meek. So more yeah. than likely, it's a shot on video episode. Yeah, um, I've never seen this one. The tiny premise on IMDb has me very interested. So I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. So that's it. 22 will be uh, next week. So uh, until then, um, be safe. Um, if you flip a coin, it could read thoughts. I guess blackmail people and get ahead in life. I don't know. I got nothing good there. Uh, look, look both ways before you cross the street. That's all I got. That's all I learned from this episode. And that is fair. Yeah.
romancing the help, Mr. Poole? Well, who can blame you? Miss Turner is the prettiest girl in the account section. Which is saying absolutely nothing. I haven't seen such an aggregation of beasts since the last time I went to the circus. Not much chance for socializing around a bank, is there? This one's probably a tiger under the proper condition. 